Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Chris Connolly. And I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Above all, we love bringing librarians and great books together. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, it's Lainey. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we're back for an episode of Editors Unedited. Today, we welcome Tessa Woodward. She's an executive editor for William Morrow Avon. Hi, Tessa. Hi, Lainey. I'm so excited to do this. Oh, thank you for coming. Um, so I'm going to hand it off to you. You have a very exciting uh, episode planned for us. So off to you. I am so excited because I get to introduce James Bailey and his book, The Flip Side, which is so much fun. The flip side is all about a guy who entrusts a year of choices to the flip of a coin um, and along the way finds love and how to trust himself. And I just loved it. I laughed. I was heartwarmed. Um, So, James, I think that's a pretty good summary of the book, but there's also so much more there. Do you want to talk about how you describe the book? Yes. uh, Thanks, Tessa. I think you've done a good job there. Um, I suppose my elevator pitch would go something similar um so yeah it's about a man in his 20s called josh um he starts the year in the worst possible fashion really so he's proposing to his girlfriend um on the london eye on new year's eve and it's fair to say it doesn't go very well um the consequences of this mean um he has to start the new year without his girlfriend without his job um, without his flat um so he's forced to move back home with his parents to this small village um in the southwest of england Um, And he's kind of lost all his confidence in his ability to make decisions, um, which leads him, as you say, to resorting to flipping a coin for every choice he makes. Um, So he puts his faith into fate. And then we kind of follow him throughout the year and see where the coin takes him. And it does take him kind of all over Europe, which is one of the things that I loved about this book. It's especially reading it right now in quarantine. It's you get to travel. It's this kind of armchair traveler because he meets a girl, right? Yes. So he, he meets this uh, uh, mysterious girl in the National Gallery in London. Um, and without giving away too much, the only thing he really knows is that she lives um, in a city where the sunflowers are by Van Gogh. So he heads off on this trip around Europe um, to the cities where the sunflower paintings are. And um, yeah, as you say, it's, it's I've had quite a few responses so far. People have been reading the book already saying right now during this COVID crisis, they are enjoying reading, so, you know, get to travel vicariously through the book. Um, it'd be quite nice to be in Amsterdam or Munich or Paris right now, really. Anywhere but my living room. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about your inspiration of where you came up with this idea? I know that you did a course through Curtis Brown in the UK. Um, did you have the idea going into that? Tell me a little bit where it came from. 
Yeah, I think it's, I probably had the idea for a few years. So I, it's, it's been a book that I've been working on. So I left, graduated from university six years ago now. And I think some of like, some of the early notes are probably from that time. I think some of those have made it into the book. Um, so certainly when I did the Curtis Brown course two or three years ago now, I had like the bare bones of it. Um, actually the coin flipping part came a bit later. So I kind of had this, these ideas about this man trying to find himself, um, but there was nothing really linking it together. And I was talking to someone, someone I used to do a job doing um, tours in Bristol where I live, so doing walking tours. And there's a Ferris where we walk past and one of the people on the tour was were telling me that they proposed um, on a Ferris wheel and it, obviously it went well for them. And I was kind of thinking, what happens if it doesn't go well? Um, you know, what happens if it's the worst possible situation on the London Eye? What happens if it was the worst day of the year? So I start, came up with that premise quite early on. And I think I was watching an episode of House of Cards where Francis Underwood talks about flipping a coin to make a choice. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. What happens if Josh decides to do that? Because obviously it's quite a lot about fate and decision-making. That kind of seemed a good premise to, to string the whole novel together, really. Have you ever done it? I, I want, I kind of want to do it, to leave it up to fate and take an entire day where I don't have to make any decisions. The coin would just make the decisions for me. Have you ever tried it? So I tried it a little bit when I was writing at the start, just to, you know, to try and get into the character kind of method writing, I suppose, like method acting, um, made a few choices. Um, it's quite addictive. I can see how you could get addicted to it, really. Um, you, know, you can just put everything down to the coin rather than yourself. I'm not sure if I'd like to do it for a long time. I know there was a survey I saw in the papers actually a few months ago. I think it might have been um, University in Chicago. And they actually found people who do flip a coin to make choices are actually happier. So there are obviously some people who do it and it must work. I'm not sure if I want to do it for a long time. I, it's, the book's been published by Penguin in the UK and one of their publicity ideas was to get me to flip a coin for a week or something for a for an article. I was like, as long as I don't lose my job or anything, then I'll, I'll try it, but we'll see. Well, you'll have to let us know if you end up doing it. Um, I just, I love, I love rom-coms. I'm a huge romantic and I just, I thought this was so, there was so much comedy in addition to the romance, in addition to this kind of larger story you're telling. Without giving too much away, there poor Josh goes on this series of unfortunate dates and I just love them. There's especially one where it involves trying to get a birthday discount at a restaurant and the date thinking he's the cheapest guy ever. Um, without, you don't have to reveal too much, but did any of these horrible dates happen to you? Where did you come up with them? Yeah, it's a bit embarrassing to say some of them are based on real life. <laughs> um, I, I suppose the good thing I found when I decided to write this book, and I obviously was looking for some some um, comedic scenes, I kind of probably put myself out a bit more going on dates. And I'm thinking, even if it was really bad, even if something really bad happens, at least it's going to be good for the book. So it kind of gave me a bit more freedom. Like, you know, even if it was like the most cringe date, then at least I'd get something out of it. Um, they weren't as bad as I describe, obviously. And I didn't try and... Um, get a, disc, a voucher for someone's for meal um but yeah certainly some of the dates and lots of it I'd say is based on personal experience unfortunately oh um 
So are you a rom-com fan? Do you have any favorite rom-coms? Yeah, I think that's probably why I ended up writing a rom-com. I think certainly in terms of um, books, I was never really a big reader at school. I was kind of a stereotypical boy. I was much more into sport rather than reading. And it's probably the Nick Hornby, David Nichols books, which really got me reading. And certainly in terms of films, like when, when I was growing up, we'd always have this like family tradition. We'd watch a film every Sunday afternoon and my mum would usually end up picking and she'd always pick a rom-com. So I suppose I grew up watching the Richard Curtis, Hugh Grant films. And yeah, I'm certainly a big rom-com fan. I'm just looking over at my shelf now with the DVDs, see what I've got over there. Um, yeah, lots of like the classics, like going back to like the apartment, so I suppose, which would be an early rom-com. Um, what else do I have there? Like Amelie, that's a bit of a quirky one. Um, before mm -hmm. Sunrise, Before Sunset. Um, when Harry Met Sally is probably my favorite. It's a good one. Um, so we do, and I edit a lot of rom-coms, and so many of them are from from the girl's point of view, from the heroine, and it's always kind of the guy being the one breaking their heart. And I love that in this book, where you're kind of pulling back the curtain, we're getting the other side of the story, and we get this very sensitive quirky goofy guy really just trying to find love and and find happiness in his life and I love that but did it did you feel any sort of pressure to make him a certain way to have him feel certain things to either make him more vulnerable or more alpha yeah it's interesting I've had as you say quite a lot of feedback so far uh, from readers sent you know it's unusual reading a, a rom-com book um, from a male perspective um, which is weird because obviously if you think about films there's quite a few you know, obviously citing the Richard Curtis um, Hugh Grant films obviously from the male perspective but yes it doesn't seem to be has done as much in um, books um, I don't know if I thought too much about it when I was actually writing it I suppose I just wrote it <laughs> you know from personal experience and maybe that's what I'm like um, I think when it came to the editing it was a bit more I think maybe it starts off he was a bit more cynical and jaded and I suppose the pressure was to make him a bit more likable. I don't think necessarily you want to read about someone moaning for the entire book. Um, so I suppose that was the part that changed. But I didn't really want him to be super alpha. Um, I think I think he's all right as he is. I think so too. I really like him. And I the whole time I was like, oh, who would play him in the movie version? Because I desperately <laughs> want to see this as a movie. Um, but I haven't come up with it yet. Do you have any ideas? Um, I know, I, I quite like it to a movie. We've had some discussions actually, and there's been some various names mentioned. I think I think there's quite a lot of British actors in that age group at the moment who'd be quite good um, if it does come off. I don't know if I've got a, I don't know if I've got a favourite. I Obviously, talking about my friends, this is like the main subject of conversation. I think when I was writing it, you kind of already imagined any what the cast is going to be before you've even finished writing the novel. You kind of get ahead of yourself and run before you can walk. Um, I don't know. I haven't got a specific name, I don't think, though. And you don't want to jinx it anyway. That That's really, yeah, that's why I don't want to say it and then it doesn't happen. Um, well, talking about kind of as you were editing it, you were, uh, we could call it lucky, we could call it unlucky. You have two editors working on this, Rebecca Hilston in the UK and, and I collaborated. Um, and it was actually on my part, really fun to kind of have another 
editor to bounce ideas off of. And, and luckily she and I both kind of agreed with any of the little places we wanted to, to make changes or have you work on. It would have been interesting if we'd, uh, we'd been totally different and you would have had to flip a coin to choose. (laughs) Um, And really it was mostly a love fest, but I do know that for the U S edition, we've made, we made you Americanize certain pieces of it. Was there anything about that that was really weird? Was there anything that you were like, why wouldn't an American understand this? Anything that stood out? I suppose it's just something like the small things, isn't it? Um, I'm trying to think now going back. It's weird when you go through this editing process, you, you read it through so many times, you get so sick of it. And I've kind of like tried to clear out my mind now. And I'm currently writing the second novel and trying to like forget all about all that stuff. I'm trying to think what I went through when we edited it. Um, just certain words. Obviously, like you have all the classic words, you know, which are different. But some things I didn't realise were so different. Lucas Aid was one I remember. He's at the marathon, the drinks he's he's drinking. You have Gatorade, not Lucas Aid. Mm-hmm. Um, I did actually wonder, I think, maybe less so for the American audience, but it's so far, I think we've got nine different foreign territories it's going to be translated into. And I wonder if like people in Hungary are going to get some of the cultural references because it's there's quite a lot of Britishness about it, I would say. So that'll be interesting. I think um, some of the translators might have their work cut out. I know, I know the German uh, translator got in touch, saying some of these jokes didn't translate, and would I be okay if she translated and made up her own jokes? I'm slightly worried how funny she is, but so we'll see what the German one's like. <laughs> You'll see what it ends up being. A completely different book, maybe. Yeah, but and I do think it's the part of the rom com thing, and part of what what works for an American audience is that it is British and we are very used to having someone like Hugh Grant kind of as our hero. So there is some stuff where I remember when I saw the Americanization, I was like, Oh, don't worry. Anyone who is worth their salt will know what this means. Like we know what a flat is, even if it's not a term we use. So it's kind of funny to see what maybe you would change if you were writing nonfiction or a children's book but if you're writing a rom-com so many people are expecting it to be a little Britishy, um and that's part of the appeal of it yeah I, I think so I don't know why we've suddenly got this I don't know if it came from Hugh Grant or if it was before but we do seem to have this rep, uh, kind of idea this British rom-com um and certainly some like <laughs> I was trying to think if there's any really British bits I suppose he does go for fish and chips doesn't he I suppose that, that's probably as British as you can get um, so I put that bit in there, but they're not constantly drinking tea or talking about the weather. So that's one good thing. That's true. Um, so one of the things that I really loved was this sunflower girl who we won't talk about too much, but is involved. She has a quirk that I actually don't know how I feel about it completely. You have her never finish books because she just wants to live in the world of the book. And I completely understand that impulse, but I was also like, oh my God, as an editor, that hurts my heart. Is that, you know someone who doesn't finish books. Do you finish books, James? So I do finish books, yes. Um, I do. So I think this is based on someone. I I haven't actually asked them since I wrote it, if this is true, but I remember having a conversation with this person, this friend I know, and I did mention this at some like a few years ago. I don't know if they've, <laughs> they've grown up and been able to finish books now or not, but it's certainly a few years ago, this was something they, they just never finished a book. And so I thought it was quite an interesting quirk. Yeah, I don't know 
how I feel about it. I think it'd be very annoying. I, I can't, it's like watching a film and then just turn off five minutes towards the end. It'd be a bit strange. Um, yeah, there may well be at least one person out there in the world who does this. Crazy. Although I, I can see, like, if you turn, especially if you're a writer, you're very creative, if you know that the book is maybe not going to end the way you wanted to, you stop and you're like, I can finish this my way. <laughs> but I love my happily ever afters. Yeah, I know. I was saying about other books I, I liked growing up, like obviously David Nichols' One Day was one of them. You know, not, I don't think it's a spoiler to say how that ends, but obviously it's, it's not necessarily the happy ending you're expecting. Um, yeah, I think you have to go, like certainly the rom-com, you have to go a certain way, don't you? I don't think you could have some someone just dying suddenly at the end. Not if you don't want the romance audience to come <laughs> after you with pitchforks. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be quite a brave move. I, at one point in the writing, when I was just tired of the editing, I was like, oh, just, let's just kill everyone off right now. It'd just be some freak accident or something. An asteroid. Exactly. It's certainly a choice, but thank you for not doing that. <laughs> um, so we are on the Library Love Fest podcast. So let's talk about libraries a little bit. What do you have? Did you have a local library growing up? Were you a library kid? Were you too focused on on your sports do you have a library now I think actually I'd quite like to get back into going to libraries now I I don't know how popular they are in city centres like I'm living in Bristol now and we've got a big library here but it's mainly um, predominantly used by the all the university students um, we have around here we have a few like traveling libraries so like um, little buses which go around with little uh, libraries on and it's become a little thing in the villages around here. You'd have um, like old telephone boxes and they're being converted into kind of community libraries where people come in, exchange books. That's quite a nice idea. Yeah, the, I love the idea of that, a traveling little library. That's so cool. And we, they've started, at least where I am in Brooklyn, people are putting up a lot of little free libraries, which are these like tiny birdhouses almost, where you put books in and other people can take them. And I love that. Yeah, I think it's really nice. I, I don't know how I feel if there's countless copies of the flip side there. <laughs> I quite like a couple of people to buy them. I just imagine in my village at home, all these people, my mum's forced to buy the book. Suddenly this this telephone box is full of copies of the flip side. Probably Just probably my family just giving it away. Right. I know, I was actually talking to my, so my granddad read the e-books just come out here in the UK a couple of weeks ago and he read it and he's already pre-ordered the paperback for November. And I was thinking, you know, he's going to cherish this and put on his bookshelf. And he said on the phone, so now I've read it, I'm going to give it away to a friend. I was like, I'm not sure that's quite what I was expecting. <laughs> um, but there we go. So is your grandfather like the grandfather in the book? Um, yeah, I think kind of. So that was probably my other grandfather kind of inspired him, actually. I, I think you're kind of getting this <laughs> this trend that lots of it's kind of based on my life. Um, I suppose it's quite common with a debut author. Um, yeah, I think certainly similarities. I think I've probably drawn on different people. I wouldn't say any one character is fully based on someone, but probably all kind of amalgamations of a couple of people at least. It makes a lot of sense. So I want to know, not just for our podcast listeners, but also for me, what are you working on next? What's your next story idea? Um, yeah, well, I've got two weeks until my deadline, so I'm kind of... Uh, um, kind of frenetically writing at the moment, editing. And I'm not sure how good, I don't know if COVID's been good for this or bad. It's been good in the fact that obviously 
there's been no fear of missing out over the last few months because literally been nothing else to do apart from writing but I'm <laughs> kind of a bit bored and starved of creativity just been in my flat for the last few months so so the new book is obviously a kind of a similar genre um set in two time periods set in the 1970s and set in the present day or recent present um slightly different uh, slightly difficult writing in the present moment obviously with covid i'm not sure how that's going to affect all books set at the moment i'm not sure there's going to be that many rom-coms set in 2020 as such um <laughs> but yeah i don't know how much i'm allowed to give away at the moment but um yes yeah, similar similar theme another male um protagonist um slightly older this time so i'm trying to channel someone a bit older um but i think it's coming on okay we'll, we'll see I'm kind of looking forward to turning in this first draft and having a couple of weeks off, really. I feel like with the, it's strange because obviously you spend so many years writing the first book and then you have a year essentially to, to write the second one whilst you're still trying to edit the first book. You're still trying to come to terms with everything, trying to do some publicity. Yeah, we don't make it easy for authors because you really do. You spend so long kind of just with that first book and it is your life or however long it takes you to write it. And then we're like, okay, next one, 12 months, be done. And do it while your first book comes out. So it really is, it's a lot. And I feel like second books are always kind of the hardest because you're just on this new schedule and you're like, what is this? Is this my life now? Yeah, and I think you just get to that point where I'm just like, I'm just fed up from staring at my laptop really. And just, uh, it's just yeah, a bit tired of editing already. And I think it's difficult as well. I can understand probably why the demand is, you know, to get an author to write a book before the first one comes out, because I said the ebooks just come out here and you kind of, I'm trying to not to read reviews, but obviously you do read reviews and I became a bit neurotic the first few days reading everything. And you mm -hmm. kind of then try and second guess what you should write in the second one. You know, if someone said, oh, it's too much of this or too much of that, and you're like, oh, dear, do I need to change the whole book now just because one person said, made a comment, uh, which probably isn't very healthy. Um, but yes, we'll, we'll see. I, I'm I'm quietly confident this one's going to be as good, hopefully. I'm excited. And really, there's only two people you have to listen to. And that would be me and Rebecca. <laughs> exactly. But I'm so excited to read it. And I'm so glad that we had a nice chance to chat. I'm really, I think that American audiences are just going to flip for the flip side. <laughs> um, but it's just I really had so much fun reading and working on this book, and I am just so excited for other people to get that chance. Well, thank you very much. It's, it's, it's very strange to think my book's going to be read by people across the States. It's weird to think people here can read it, let alone across the other side of the Atlantic, and yeah, it's bizarre. So hopefully, as you say, people will enjoy it, and um, thank you very much to you for your fantastic editing and for giving me this opportunity. Excited. Oh, I forgot. I did have one other question. Um, so something very important in this book, which is not in a ton of rom-coms, is Jeremy, the <laughs> pet rabbit. Do you have a pet rabbit? Why a pet rabbit? I love it. I don't. But again, with the common theme here, it did come from a real life situation. I was in a pub with a friend and someone did bring in a pet rabbit in a, in a, um, a buggy. <laughs> I think it just it just made me laugh so it kind of stemmed from there really um and I just kind of thought with this whole breakup you know you know you could easily divide you know your photos and your dvd collection or something but you know you've got a pet rabbit this person was 
uh, Josh's plan of spending his, the rest of his life with this girl, and he's, he's suddenly just given her a pet rabbit. And what what do you do with this rabbit? Um, someone's got to take it. So, yeah, that's where that's where Jeremy came from. I loved it, and I loved the scene where Jeremy becomes this babe magnet. It was so much <laughs> fun, and so of course we had to put him on our cover. I know. I, I love the cover. It's, it's so good. Yes, yeah, it's, it's nice that he features. It's exciting. So thank you. Again, be sure to get an e-galley of the flip side and it will be available in stores November 17th. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.